0: Welcome to Social Creatures, a podcast from Sprout Social. I'm Kat, and I'm here to explore some of my favorite success stories from the world of social media. This is a space for everyone, and really, nearly anything goes. But what makes an account successful or popular? Honestly, it's hard to know, but that's what we're here to find out. Throughout the series, we'll talk with the brains behind the accounts you know and some that you don't to explore the weird and wonderful ways that businesses, organizations and individuals have achieved success on social media, all with tangible insights that you can apply to your own social strategies. And we'll be heeding the advice of Stacey, our social media agony aunt, who's here to guide you through some of your trickiest digital dilemmas. This week, I'm joined by John Peterson, who's the man behind the Twitter account at Orkney Library. I first discovered Orkney's Twitter account a couple of years ago when I stumbled upon the very real and hilarious beef between them and their neighbouring library of Shetland Island. What can I say? It's not every day that you see libraries bickering with each other over Twitter. I came for the drama, but I stayed for the content. Orkney has grown its following into the tens of thousands with its blend of genuinely interesting insights and then charming and silly humour, all while earning fans and PR from right across the globe. They are the literary darlings of British Twitter and have secured their place as a must-visit destination on many of the biggest book launch tours. If you'd like to have a look or follow the account while you're listening, you can find the handle at Orkney Library. John, welcome. Hi. I'm going to start by choosing a tweet from one of Orkney's 35,000 tweets that they've posted. One which I love.
1: Gosh, is it that many?
0: Yeah, so many. And I think it gives an insight into the personality of the account pretty nicely. So this was a tweet that was accompanied with a picture of a book, which had a stamp of another library's name on it. I'll read it first. A book was just returned that thought it was a loner, but it wasn't ours at all. A book that left its home in Tucson, Arizona for some Orkney library balls. Get back, get back, get back to where you once belonged. Now there is a lot going on in that tweet. We've got global library banter, We've got the Beatles and then, of course, the Orkney Library Balls. Can you tell us the story
1: behind this post? Well, the, the book got returned to the mobile library and it was in a bag of a whole lot of other books uh, that somebody had dropped off. The mobile library driver had noticed this library stamp, which is what most libraries do. They have the, a stamp with a library name on the on the sort of edge of the page block. And it was Tucson, Arizona. <clears throat> so she brought it to me and... I, it's just an immediate word association. You see Tucson, Arizona, you think "Get Back" by the Beatles. It just seemed like an obvious lead-in. And everybody's been watching the Beatles "Get Back," you know, uh, documentary series. And it was just—it just seemed like a perfect way to go. You know, you know th- this is the sort of thing that turns up all the time in libraries. You either get tremendously overdue books, which you, you know are, is always kind of interesting, just because of the sort of time context thing, or, or you know, books that have travelled a long way. In this case, sort of. 4,000 miles or something you know.
0: Yeah it's crazy. Um, So that's a tweet that I love but for those who maybe haven't interacted with your account before John could you tell us a little bit about what the Orkney Library Twitter account is like and why people love it?
1: Like I said we're a library and an archive so we uh, try and talk about stuff that's happening in the library, stuff that they're doing in the archive. We have a mobile library so we often post about where it's going which is a good way of showing off Orkney as well as Te- keeping people up to speed where we uh, you know where it's where it's going to be we talk about the different services and some of the things we do uh, for the community w- that we're serving but also we try and have fun with all those things as well and share them in a kind of entertaining way so that it's it's useful hopefully but also gives people uh pe- even people who aren't here has something you know they have something to follow and to To give them a bit of an understanding about where we are. Can you
0: tell us a little bit about, for people who maybe don't understand, what you were talking about with the, I think it's safe to say, famous Orkney Library balls?
1: The library in Kirkwall, we've got a kind of paved Area in front of the library with benches and trees and stuff. I suppose they're just a sort of architectural element. They're cast concrete balls, but they've kind of got a a sort of fame all of their own. People come and visit us, they take photos on them and stuff, and we post things about them on, on social media from time to time. They're just kind of become associated with us a bit.
0: Yeah, I know that I was looking at some of your tweets that had the most likes and the ones that describe. The Orkney Library balls always get lots of likes, but for reading it out without the picture of the architectural element, it definitely is a little bit uh, within you, Endo. But maybe we're getting a little bit too into the weeds here. Let's zoom back out and could you tell us a little bit about Orkney and Orkney Library? So paint a picture for our listeners. Where are you and what is the library like?
1: Well, Orkney is a group of islands, an archipelago is the proper term, just off the north coast of Scotland, Ornty Library and Archive, which is the is in Kirkwall, which is the main town, and it's been around for years. It's kind of a official date. It started was 1683. So we've got it as our main library, because we've got a population of about 22,000, so we're not that big a place, but an island community, quite rural, surrounded by the sea, a lot of farming. We're just, it's just quite a unique place. As all islands are. So to what
0: extent does social media play a part on the life of Orkney? Can you gauge that
1: at all? Social media generally, I mean, it's it's here, you know, like everywhere there, there's loads of people use it and businesses use it and organisations. It's, it's just like everywhere else. It's for us, it's just a way of showing what we do and talking about the stuff we do, drawing attention to stuff, but also, you know, we have a bit of fun with it and, it, I don't know, show the side of the library and the archive as well, actually, that people maybe don't know or definitely can't always get to, you know, uh, by definition a, a lot of our followers aren't in Orkney so you, you know but people are always interested in in books and in libraries and in archives old photographs all that kind of stuff and so it's just a good way of talking about that you know.
0: Would you say that you're
1: the social media
0: sweetheart of Orkney?
1: No I I, I, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't say that we just do our thing there's load. there's quite a few really big accounts doing stuff because it's Orkney's, you know, it's, it's really picturesque and it's got a really strong tourist industry and loads of history and and actually loads of really good food producers and craft producers. And, you know, it's just, it's that kind of place. And so there's loads of stuff happening really on social media.
0: You're maybe my sweethearts of Orkney then. Oh,
1: well, we'll take That's that. as a personal thing. We'll take that.
0: <laughs> but it is interesting because I think Orkney... You mentioned it is, Orkney Library is quite an old institution, but also in terms of how long you've been on Twitter, you've had a Twitter account since 2009, which was actually only three years after Twitter launched. So it was quite early in the life cycle of the platform. Can you tell me a little bit about why Orkney decided to go on Twitter and why it became such an important part
1: of the library? When you look around and lots of the people we interact with, which are like other libraries and archives and museums and stuff, I notice a lot of them. It was around the same time they started to get onto social media. I think it was just starting to become a thing beyond, you know, personal accounts and organisations and people were starting to get involved with it. And so I think that was about the time it really started to boom. You know, I mean, we had a website like everybody did, but it was just a way of communicating more with people, you know, that sort of faster way of getting information out there and just showing off, showcasing the library, you know, and and what, what we were doing, what we were about way of advertising stuff that was happening. It's worked, you know. And and it's it's good fun doing it as well. So I mean it makes it more fun. You're always learning stuff doing it as well. And sometimes, you know, you could come up with something to talk about on social media and, and it's a way of, you know, exploring things as well because there's so much information and knowledge out there with the people who follow you. So there's, you know, we put stuff up and stuff comes back to us as well with it. You know, it kind of works in a very sort of organic, kind of interactive way as well.
0: Yeah, I love that because I think So often when people start, especially an account associated with a business, you want to immediately have tens of thousands of followers. And I think Orkney is a really good example of experimenting, having a little bit of fun, having a mixture of content out there and then growing and growing. Um, Because I think since obviously you started the account, there's 22,000 around thereabouts people on Orkney, but you have followers coming up to around the 78,000 mark so many of your followers aren't Orkney residents. Do you know who your
1: followers are, and do you have a an idea of how far your reach goes? Not really. We never really analyze it that much to be honest. We kind of just we just kind of keep on going and see you know who comes along and who you know who comes in and who gets in touch and stuff like that. But I mean obviously're you know the majority of them aren't in Orkney, so they're they're all over the place. And that's really nice as well, actually.
0: I think you're being really modest because I know exactly the type of people who follow you, and you get lots of famous authors following you. I know that you get lots of nice, positive attention. And oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. We do get that as well, which is great. It's been a huge benefit, actually, because it's brought, you know, authors to come and see us and, you know, a, a small, just relatively difficult. And expensive place to get to, you know, compared to traveling around on the mainland and things like that. Then, you know, I've I've spoken to other libraries who really struggle to get included on author tours and things like that. I mean, I suppose there's a bit of a novelty coming to us as well, but, you know, we've been really lucky in that way. And then they follow us and interact with us and stuff. But then we're we're talking about books and doing stuff with books. And it's all that world, you know, it's books. And, and uh, you don't think about it too much. Because if you did, you probably wouldn't be able to post anything. You'd be going, I can't post <laughs> this. Such and such is going to see it, you know. But um, I, we don't really think like that. We just do it and hope that it's okay.
0: Well, it definitely is. Because I think, I mean, there's people like me. I've never been to Orkney. I discovered you years ago, as I said, because you were making fun of Shetland Library. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And I actually think I saw it in press as well. And I think that's another thing where because of the blend... And the humor and the interest and the genuine niceness of everything that you're posting—it's just such a lovely feed to read.
1: Yeah, the thing with Shetland is as well—you know, just fun. I mean, they're, they are very similar in terms of their. I mean, they're also an island group, uh, same virtually location. They're further north, which they'll always highlight that they're further north than we are. But they're trying to do the same things we are. They're you know trying to promote what they're doing, show the sort of challenges of providing the services they provide in in an island kind of setting. So. But it's just good fun every now and again to have a kind of needle each other. Oh,
0: absolutely. You know, you do have a a beautifully nuanced tweeting style. Like there's a lovely blend of content that you put up there, which we can chat about. But at times, you know, you'll have a naughty joke and then there'll be a lovely black and white photograph of Orkney and its citizens throughout the ages. And of course, there's lots and lots of content about books as well. Do you think it's that combination of humour, nostalgia, Orkney Pride and literature, is that a reflection of your own character and what speaks to you? Or do you try and keep it separate and
1: embody the library? It's probably both. You know, like I say, it's a library and an archive. So the combination of showing off stuff from the library and stuff from the archive is kind of, is definitely trying to embody that. But it is also stuff that interests me. I mean, even the, the silly stuff, the really bad puns and jokes and stuff. It's the sort of stupid stuff that occurs to me just as I'm going about my day, you know. So it's not like I, I'm not sitting with a pencil and a pad trying to come up with a pun. I'm, it's just stupid stuff that occurs to me sometimes or silly stuff or whatever. So I think it would be impossible to do otherwise. It would be a real. Grinding your brain trying to come up with stuff. Oh, I
0: totally agree. And I think that's what works really well on Orkney because I will be honest, I wouldn't have thought that the archive stuff would particularly appeal to me as much as it does. But it's because of, I guess, your way of framing it and saying, like, oh, look, here's this guy falling down the slopes. Here's this man who loves his dog like really, really, like you, you, you inject a lot of humanity into the archive pieces.
1: And the archive photos, there's loads of amazing photos and you kind of feel that you need to add something to them. And we usually do explain what the photo actually is, but we'll quite often have a bit of fun with it as well. The archive's got 60 or 70,000, you know, images of dating right back to the sort of 1850s, I think, uh, maybe even slightly before that. But the the uh, anyway, so often you just come across some lovely you know, f- sort of photos, uh, or, or just ones that are quite funny. I mean, you're not really making fun of them, but there's just that thing, you know, with old photos, uh, very serious faces or, or, or just, just funny stuff. And, and so sometimes you say something kind of humorous as a sort of launch pad for showing the photo and then explain actually when the photo was taken, who took it, what it is. And so you sort of catch people on the first thing and then tell them more about it. It's just kind of a style we've developed so very rarely do we just straight post the photo and say what it is although occasionally you do come across that lovely photo of william hurston with his dog where it's just a lovely very old photo of a guy with his dog lucy who's one of the archivists you know i'll, I'll give me a phone and say you know, i've just found this this email will pop up and it'll just be a great photo or something that she's come across and everything in the archive Uh, or, you know, there's new stuff coming in all the time, but the stuff is catalogued, but it's not, you know, it appears on a list somewhere, but when sometimes you open something and you go, wow, you know, there's this amazing, and it's maps or old letters, you know, old photographs, all sorts of stuff. Uh, And so there is an element of that. So so often when it comes to me, it is the first time, you know, I've seen it.
0: Now here at Sprite Social, we know that social media is a wild and wonderful beast. It can surprise and delight, But it can also confuse and perplex even the hardiest of social media users. Who better to turn to for help than our social media expert, Stacey Wright, who's here to answer your questions over a cup of tea and some biscuits in the part of the show we like to call Sound Advice.
2: Right. I've got my cup of tea and I've got my letters, which can only mean it's time for us to take a break and cosy down together. This is the part of the podcast where I, your social media agony aunt, Stacey, guide you, our dear listeners, through your trickiest digital dilemmas. Right, let me see what social media conundrums you've sent my way today. Dear Stacey I'm relatively new to my role coming from a successful beauty brand to an up and coming aesthetic therapies chain. My manager is pressuring me to replicate the large Instagram following of a frankly rogue cosmetic clinic and is enthralled by the vanity metric of their audience size rather than whether or not the audience is interacting with their content. It seems that the competitors in question might have bought their followers since they number over 300,000 followers but achieve less than 20 likes on an average post. Meanwhile, I have daily emails from my manager requesting that I publish operational information to the social feeds about opening hours and booking advice, which only damages the genuine engagement we're hoping to build, and getting deep brown lines that could serve as a perfect before pick for our own treatments. How can I inject confidence amongst my senior comms team to focus on long term growth with authentic brand advocacy rather than using dark hat social tactics and grip and grin content from said list celebrities, seeking thriller, not filler. Emma. Ah, Emma, this is something that I think comes up a lot um, and we hear from a lot when we are working in social media and in fact one of the most viewed pieces of content on our blog is how to grow Instagram followers. Firstly, start with some internal education and back it up by data. Take that competitor, use a competitor tracking tool to follow their growth in audience. Did they amass followers in one go or is it a steady growth over time that they're having? Secondly, see how much advertising they're actually putting out there. Go onto the facebook page find the page transparency section and look at their ad library and see how many ads they're running and that will include across instagram as well as other facebook placements And lastly, how many people are actually visiting your profile and seeing that follower number? And this has a follow-up question to your manager. Do they actually care about other people seeing that number of followers? And is that a brand reputation issue because they feel like it's too low for how they perceive their brand? If it is the case that they're worried about brand reputation tied to that follower number, try and switch their focus to those big interaction numbers that also have that behavioral economic science behind them so maybe it's how many views on a reel you've had and instagram reels is a really great place to start because lots of people are consuming them but very few people are actually creating them which means you'll get high volumes of people that don't even follow you seeing that content straight away Comments on posts would be my second area uh, to focus on. As humans, we love to dive into the conversation and see what's happening. So comments underneath feed posts is another really strong metric to look at there. Last but not least, shares of your content. How many people are recommending your piece of content to their mates? A bit like when I log on to Instagram at the end of the day and my inbox is full of cat memes, how much uh, have people done that and sent your posts to their mates? so it might be the case that actually your senior leadership team just aren't that social savvy and they're not used to social media as part of the marketing mix think about traditional marketing tactics that you would use to grow a customer base and apply that in the same terms to them for your following so you might have promotions that you want to push out to people through a street leaf litter in traditional terms that could be a story post that's more highlighted in the top of your feed. It's more direct in terms of getting in front of your followers. You might do a direct mail campaign through the doors of your customers. That's like boosted feed posts. That's boosting that content to get in front of them in their feed, very much like pushing it through the ladder box of their door. And lastly, you might look at partnerships. So with influencers, I would always say position them as doing a partnership with another business. They get paid for what they do, and then they're sharing their content to new audiences for you on your behalf. So that education piece is great for those long-term tactics to grow your following, but if you are in need of those quick wins to appease people day to day, in the example that you've given in the letter with the operational messages being pushed and you don't want to put them on feed, try and shift those to the Instagram stories. Stories are timely, they time out after 24 hours, but they're also highlighted more prevalently at the top of the feed, so you're likely to get a better impression rate and you can go back to that team and say, look how many people saw this, Isn't it great? Secondly, if it is a quick win on followers and comments, then we know that those uh, follow and comment to win campaigns on feed can be really effective, but they come with a warning. Those engagement rates can be really high and it's hard to often come back from them if you're comparing your day-to-day activity with those competitions. It's often not a fair benchmark to have. Most importantly, as well as all these tactics is to be confident that confidence you want to inject into your stakeholders have that for yourself they hired you as an expert in social and it's just as important that they support you in feeling empowered to take the social media in the right direction and give you the opportunity to focus on that big content strategy that you want to and hopefully then turn those deep frown lines into smile lines instead emma other listeners i hope that's given you some helpful insight until next time stay strong and stay social listeners and now back to the interview
0: But it's interesting, we've touched on a couple of things here, like the different content types that you share, and then also a little bit of playing into trends that are currently happening on the internet. I know that Wordle has become a big part of Orkney's existence in recent times, correctly so.
1: Yeah, everybody's doing it. In fact, that was the same thing, because the first I knew about it was it coming up on social media. Everybody's doing this thing, so it's a bit of a zeitgeist thing. You think, how can we talk about this or use it? So we've used it in a few different ways, so it's a good opportunity to put your take on And We did do a kind of Wordle grid using books, and it was one of those things, actually, because the people who got it got it straight away, and this was all the people who were playing Wordle, <laughs> and the people who hadn't started playing Wordle yet were like, "What? what is that? You know, They, they didn't get it at all. But uh, I quite like that. I quite like, you know, the if you know, you know kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I love an if you know, you know, except when you don't know.
1: <laughs> That's the worst. No, I know. But but there's always somebody really helpful who'll tell the people. Yeah. You know, there's always, uh, you don't have to. Somebody will go, they're talking about this thing, you know, which I just quite like leaving it and letting Twitter tell them. 100%. You know?
0: Obviously, community plays a big part in the people that you follow and how you've grown your following, but what other tips would you give to people who want to grow their accounts in the way that Orkney has grown? Are there any little pointers or strategies that you would recommend?
1: I think just be consistent, try and post regularly, but not, you know, not not too much. I think sometimes we quite often will have days where we, we don't post that much or, or even a, a day where we don't post at all. And I think that's probably better than posting too much. Mm. Um, but also don't go for weeks on end putting nothing up try and get involved in it. Because I think by doing that, as well as the fact you're, you're feeding into the thing for the people who follow you, you also, it helps you develop your own idea of what you're going to post. And it helps you develop like a kind of eye or an ear for what would make good content. And I think it's from doing it. It's, seeing what kind of reaction you get, reacting to that, and also keep an eye on what's happening, what other people are doing. You know, you get all these funny things we do quite a lot where it'll be, you know, National Sandwich Week or something, and you know, we'll try and feed into that or do something related to that or like the Wordle thing or any of these things. But, you know, it often is that. And uh, keep an eye on that sort of stuff because sometimes that'll give you an idea of what's going to be trending later in the day. You might be able to feed into it. It doesn't have to be related, you know. We're quite lucky in the library because you can do nearly anything with with books. There's books on everything. that's by the definition of what a library is, so we always have books on stuff. But think, you know, try and come up with a different way of feeding into it. See if you can grab people's attention a little bit, and just use what you have. You know, that's different about you, or what your thing is, because that's that's what you have, and that's what makes you kind of unique as an account. And try and think about anything you've got really that's different. I mean, way back at the start when you were saying about like us posting stuff to do with the balls, which which are outside, that's something we have that other other people don't. Now we're at the point with that where people all over the world on holiday come go anywhere and find like anywhere where there's like spherical bollards, <laughs> they'll send us photos of them. I mean, honestly, I I, j- I joked years ago we could make like a coffee table art book of. These balls from all over the <laughs> world because it's people just send them from everywhere. So, you know, that's like I, I well, they're not unique to us at all because they're everywhere, but we've made a bit of a thing of them. And so it's when people see them, they go, Oh, I'm gonna and they snap a photo. And we get that every summer. You get tons of them. sometimes people send one and I go, Oh, I know I've we've been sending them before <laughs> and I know where they are. It's like an aficionado of of that. But yeah, that kind of thing. Try and carve your own niche.
0: John, could you tell me maybe what opportunities and connections have arisen then as a result of the Twitter account for Orkney?
1: Well, it's like we said before, it's, you know, we've been followed by lots of authors and stuff, which has been really good for and publishers as well. So that's been really good for getting writers and stuff to come and do like author events, book launches, that kind of stuff. And we've sort of connected with loads of other similar accounts, dust libraries and things like that. You get a bit of a online libraries community, I suppose, cause, uh, and you get to know the people who run their accounts who, you know, is, is great too. To begin with, it's just, you get to meet the people behind that a bit, which has been really good, uh, for sharing ideas and bouncing off people. It's. Because it's made us better known, even just people coming in who come to visit and they'll make a point of visit and they'll buy one of our famous tote bags. You know, you just get this thing where people would never have done that before and they would come in and do that. And so you get the sort of Orkney Library logo places, people post photos of it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just made a much sort of wider community for us to operate in than we would have just where we are. It's something that I like to see as well because... You're an account that I followed for a long time.
0: I really love when you do see big authors interacting with you. Like, that is exciting. I feel like in the literary sphere of Twitter, you're definitely very well known. So, that must be exciting.
1: Yeah, it's really good. And, like I say, when, when you can bring these people, you know, they're willing to come and visit, it's amazing. We ran this um, sort of online book club thing with one of the, with Pan Macmillan. The publisher for a while called the Hurricane Book Club, which is still running in a slightly different way. But that came to us through, uh, I suppose, social media. And it was a kind of book club where we had meetings, physical meetings, but also the questions and the points people made discussing the books were posted online. So it created a kind of online element to it. And just things like that that have come along and, you know, all helped raise the profile of for us, but also just of libraries and books. And so it's worked for us.
0: Yeah, it definitely has worked for you. And as a long-time fan of your account, I think you have absolutely nailed that lovely organic feeling of life in the Orkney Library and Archives, and I love to watch it. I've got a final question, which is a question that we're going to be asking all of our guests on this podcast. If you had to delete all of the others and only follow one account on Twitter, who would it be? Well, this is tough. Yeah, no pressure.
1: (laughs) No pressure. Okay. I think if I if I was going to say, when we interact loads and we have a lot of fun with the National Library of Scotland, which is based in Edinburgh, which is obviously our national library, and we have a lot of fun with them. They're trying to do the same kind of stuff as us. I would hate for them not to be there. But um, there, there are loads of other great accounts out there doing stuff. And, you know, you can do... I think if you're looking to lighten up your... Social media feeds, you could do a lot worse than follow, follow, you know, libraries, archives, museums, galleries, just stuff, places like that, because they're all having a lot of fun. They've all got interesting stuff. And if nothing else, you know, they show you nice things. You know, they'll show you whether it's art or photographs or books or just lovely stuff. And there's beautiful libraries all over the world posting amazing stuff. So you could do a lot worse than follow that stuff. Follow less news and politics and more libraries and museums.
0: John, thank you so much for the time today. It has been absolutely lovely to speak to you. I have really enjoyed hearing about how Orkney has grown its following with all of its wonderful content over the years. It's just, it's been fantastic. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: You're very welcome. It's been great to speak to you, Kat.
0: You've been listening to Social Creatures with me, Kat Anderson. Many thanks to today's guest and to Sprout Social for making this podcast possible. Make sure you join me for the rest of the series by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform where you can tune into a new episode every two weeks. You can continue the conversation around today's episode by getting in touch on our social media at at Social, or by sending your social media quandaries to our agony aunt Stacey by emailing soundadvice at sproutsocial.com. Thanks for listening and catch you in two weeks.